Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We'll share some of our experience as counselors, business owners, and most important of all, as everyday people. Hello, Shrink Think Podcast listeners. We've got a fantastic episode for you today. It is the first of a two-part series that we're calling Trauma When It's All in the Family. This is all about intergenerational trauma, which is kind of a big word, but we'll unpack it over the course of the next couple of episodes. And we want to give you a lot of information about what it is and why it can be helpful to you. And if you are somebody who resonates with that idea. We hope this um, hits home and gives you some encouragement and some normalization for what you've experienced in your life. So stay tuned for the next couple of episodes for this topic of intergenerational trauma. And thank you for listening as always. Hey, welcome to today's episode. We have a bit of a different topic we're going to talk about. It may seem a little strange to you, but we promise there is a reason for it, a good reason for it. We want it to be helpful. Obviously, everything we talk about here on Shrink Think Podcast, we want to be helpful for you, our audience, our listeners. And so today we want to talk about this gigantic term, intergenerational trauma, or some people just say generational trauma. We want to talk about today a few different points, four points specifically. Why are we even talking about this? What's, why is this a good thing to talk about? Number two, how this can be helpful for you, the listener. Number three, obviously, what is generational trauma or intergenerational trauma? And then lastly, what can you do about it? If you think this resonates with you, if you've got some of this in your history or your family's history, what is like a good starting point? We're not going to look at solving all of your problems. That's for like, you know, your own personal therapy over the next seven years or so. (laughs) Um, That's short. (laughs) Yeah, that's short. It depends on how long, how many generations we're talking about. So to get us started, why are we talking about generational trauma in the first place? I think one big reason is because Nathan and I, we work with a lot of trauma in our practices. I'd say we're uh, pretty well versed about what is trauma and what it looks like and how to navigate through it. And one thing that we have seen with a lot of folks that will come in is they sort of feel stuck. Maybe they know that they've had some trauma in their life. Maybe they don't even have a lot of memories. Maybe there's just not a lot of Uh, conversation in the family about really anything. But we know that, you know, mom was messed up or dad was an alcoholic or grandpa fought in World War II or just all kinds of things. And so what we see is people coming into our office with like these invisible issues. You know, it's, it's like the weird digestive problem that you're like, I don't even know why I have this. You know, I don't, I'm not super anxious. I, I don't know where it came from or whatever. A lot of people nowadays have this like weird digestive thing going on. And there are like no answers out there. The medical community is just baffled. It's kind of like that. Like there's nothing major that people can point to in their lives that says that I should be functioning this way or so impacted or impaired. And so I kind of liken it to a silent ninja it's kind of a funny way of thinking about it, but when you can identify that there's this silent ninja that every time you turn your head, whoosh, it's gone. It's like disappeared. 
every time you look in the other direction, whoosh, it's like moved behind you. Like you just cannot see whatever it is that's affecting you or causing whatever. It's just really hard, hard to spot. And so we want to talk about it because maybe this is the thing that's been affecting you. Yeah, I think the big picture with generational trauma is that there's a lot of folks that have experienced it and have no idea that they have. And there's some of you out there that know for sure you have, and you kind of look and go, yeah, my family is pretty much jacked up from like five generations ago. Maybe if that's you, you feel pretty hopeless. So we thought, you know, this is, it's a definite huge piece of dealing with trauma. It affects uh, other disorders out there, like anxiety, for example, like Aaron was kind of just talking about the subtlety, the silent ninja could be that maybe you don't really have quote unquote trauma symptoms, but maybe you're a highly anxious person and you start working with us and we find out that, well, actually, when you look down your family line, this was pretty inevitable. And that can be really weird to realize when you trace stuff back. Um, just how connected everything is. We do this thing, and actually, to be honest, I don't do it as much as I probably should, called a genogram. And what a genogram is, is kind of like a family tree. But what you do is you have, like, if you came in, we would have you like, okay, who is in your family? Who is your parents? Who is your grandparents? And there's different ways to draw it all up. And then we would not talk about names and stuff more than we would talk about what happened. Like, oh, this dad was drank alcohol. Okay. Would you, okay. Sounds like he's an alcoholic. Okay. What about his dad? Well, his dad also drank alcohol. Okay. And you can start to see a flow and it's like, well, this is pretty inevitable. And there's all these connections that start to happen. Everybody has patterns. This also, by the way, does not mean that we're trying to figure out some way to go, see, you have a problem. We knew it is sneaky. The DSM already has done a fantastic job of that. If you read the DSM, all of you have problems. Not us, but no, just kidding. Everybody, everybody has a problem. Like if you listen to our last little mini series on anxiety and depression in the pandemic, Nathan was reading from the DSM for the criteria for those things. And it really just almost anybody can fit a criteria for any disorder. But trauma is one of those nefarious things that also just to, I guess, to jump in here really quickly Mm -hmm. and say, that this is probably one of the first time periods in a long time that there has been no war. We haven't been, you know, what has it been, like 10 years or so since we've like actively been at war? People have gone off to war or something. Um, some major like world war. So before we had World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, Korean War, like all these kinds of things. And so people would come back and be significantly different. That's actually where the original definition of PTSD came from was these military veterans were coming back and, you know, markedly different. And so those previous generations were carrying that into the next generations who may also have gone to war. And now here we are, you know, nowadays it's like, well, we don't have a draft. We haven't gone to war, but we've been impacted by it. I've I've never seen war. Maybe your dad fought in the war or maybe it just was grandpa that fought in the war. And maybe you're thinking, I'm so far removed from any of that, but it still can affect you. That's just one example. Yeah, and we'll give you one subtle, real practical way. Grandpa went to war, right? So whenever you go to grandpa's house, there's certain things you don't talk about. Maybe he'll start crying, or it's just like an anxiety-provoking thing. 
So now you're anxious about certain things. Maybe you don't bring it up, but maybe you see a subject matter from somebody who's visiting that they're starting to talk about something and you're starting to get anxious because where is this going to go? And then also you've got to make sure your kids know, you know, when you go over there, nope, don't talk about blah, blah. Yeah, don't mention why grandpa always has to sit in that chair for that long or whatever. That's kind of a weird example, but um, that's kind of this whole intergenerational reality is everything starts to pivot based on, based on a few very traumatic experiences, the entire system pivots. And when you say system, you mean like the family system? Yeah, and well, the family system, and meaning like intergenerationally, not just your own nuclear family. Um, that would be the nuclear family that you came from, and let's get more complicated, that your spouse came from, that, and then that where they all came from beyond that, and everybody gets together. And that is a freaky time. Wow. When you said that, my mind is just blowing. It's like, uh, what was that movie? Intercept. Interception. Interception. Yeah, whatever that thing is. Inception. Inception. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. We got it. <laughs> movie quotes here on Shrink Thing Podcast. <laughs> Do not come here first. Come here last. For we'll movie, get them eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it, it's totally that thing. It's like this thing inside of a thing inside of a thing. It's this cosm inside of a microcosm, microcosm. Just to get back to this main topic here, why we're talking about it, Nathan, you were talking earlier about how you might not have any specific trauma in your past, but your parents might have it, and so it might manifest for you as anxiety. Can it manifest for somebody else as anything else, like depression or any other maybe more serious illness, like bipolar disorder? Tell us more about that. Well, the interesting thing is you mentioned bipolar disorder. I think depression's an easy, low-hanging fruit, in my opinion. Like, that's an easy one for, for yeah, um, that would be depressing. Um, there's a lot of pathways to that. And as, as we get into more of what it is, I think you'll be able to draw your own conclusions to that. The stuff that's in kind of what you would consider next level would be something like bipolar, because we look at that and go, wow, there's a lot of, there's a lot of genetics to that. You know, that's kind of, you know, that person's, maybe haven't had, had an experience. And I mean, no denigration by this whatsoever, but I worked with a person years and years ago who was on a train and um, believed himself to be being chased by the FBI. You will look at that and go, okay, well, there's, that doesn't seem to be like a generational trauma thing. That's just something that's going on in the brain that's making something be different. But there actually is some evidence, or well, there's a field of study that would like to challenge that belief, um, and that field of study is in epigenetics, and I can talk more about that maybe a little bit later, but I know that we want to also talk about kind of how this might help you, how you, like what's the point, like of not necessarily why we're talking about it, but, but okay, if this is you, then what do you do with it? And what we really want to do ultimately is help you to feel normal, but we don't want to minimize it, you know, because on the one hand, maybe you've never known this. So it's, it's a significant thing that if you find out this is something that you've experienced, we're going to give you some ideas of, of how to work through it. On the other hand, um, it might have also help you um, to be able to connect to your friends and family differently. If you're a friend of somebody who has this who you're realizing, man, that kind of sounds like this is what's happening to, I don't know, Sarah or whatever, it might give you a different kind of respect for the scenario. Um, I mean, it might help you to kind of take a step back and go, man, I don't know that she's just going to be able to just make this change type of thing um, when it seems so simple to you. When you start to realize there's a bigger context to this stuff. And 
we've talked about the fear triangle. To some extent, you kind of are, can be a victim of an entire family system and not have even done anything but breathe air. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to my silent ninja example, maybe just to put a little bit more context to that or a little bit more clarity to it, part of what that is describing is you're doing something, you're trying to build something in your life or in yourself, and you turn around and then you turn back and it's like destroyed or it's like gone. And you're like, what? why does this keep happening? I mean, I'm, I'm working hard on myself or I'm doing certain things and I don't understand how I'm just continuing to stay stuck or why I continue to do certain behaviors or why even these behaviors are even a part of my life at all because maybe it's nothing that, that ever happened to me that I'm aware of but I'm struggling with certain behaviors. It's like all this invisible stuff that's going on that is unexplained. So hopefully, and this has been the case with numerous clients that I've worked with that have come in, when we talk about family systems or family of origin, you know, your, your parents, your parents' parents, all that kind of stuff, like Nathan was talking about, as we build out kind of an informal genogram together, we can see how there are these generational patterns or influences that might be affecting you and that might actually be the cause or the culprit of this unexplained thing that you have going on. And that's incredible. This can be helpful because if you listen to the interview that we had with uh, Dr. Les Parrott, he said the phrase, awareness is curative. And so maybe you have not had any idea about what the behavior is or where it's coming from, and maybe it's generational trauma. And now that you can put some language to it and identify what's going on, you can actually do something about it. So that awareness of what it is and how it might be impacting you can point you in a specific direction to get some help for it so that you can begin to change it where all the other things you've been doing before, maybe, you know, lots of efforts have made some changes, but just didn't seem to touch this, this bad boy here. Um, so we're hoping that this will do that for you. So we've been talking about why uh, we're talking about generational trauma and how it can help you. Let's get into what it actually is. Nathan, you pulled up something on the web that we both thought was really, really helpful. So go ahead and read that, and we'll kind of translate what that means. Yeah, so um, this is found off of uh, health.com, and it just says generational trauma is exactly what it sounds like. Trauma that isn't just experienced by one person, but extends from one generation to the next. It can be silent, covert, and undefined, surfacing through nuances and inadvertently taught or implied throughout someone's life from an early age onward. And Melanie English talked about that. What I thought was interesting in this article, actually, that's just just nuts, is um, in 1966, um, they kind of they studied Holocaust survivors. What they found was, is that in the children, their kind of natural anxiety and distress rates were higher. And in 1988, the Canadian Journal of Psychiatry found that the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors were overrepresented um, with that whole anxiety and that kind of in psychiatric care type of thing by a 300%. So these people are the grandchildren. And so um, moving down this article, uh, I have this lady's name is kind of hard to pronounce, to be honest, but De Silva, basically, she talks about how trauma affects genetic processes leading to traumatic reactivity 
being heightened in populations who experience a great deal of trauma. And these folks are all child and adolescent psychiatrists, so they're looking at it from, from that perspective. So that I've, I found that to be um, really uh, insightful and informative and very clear. Um, also, it's pretty academic. Can you translate for us just in, like if I was a client coming in, what does that even mean? If you were to read that to me or explain it to me, from a layman's point of view, they—you um, can tell by by the way that they are talking—that these are psychiatrists that their minds were blown because they're looking at these situations of anxiety and they're going, "What? These children, only of the Holocaust survivors, compared to other children, are having issues psychiatrically." And I've said anxiety, but there's other things, and. And they're, they're having it 300 times more than the average kid. So they're looking at kids going, well, um, I guess if you are the grandson of a Holocaust survivor, you're going to have issues. Um, there's, just, there's just a likelihood that that's going to be there. Whereas another kid that comes in that's not connected to the Holocaust seems to be not having those issues to where the point was you could kind of trust it. And... That's kind of a super weird thing to look at when you're like, but this kid was not in the Holocaust. Not only that, but he's an entire generation removed from the Holocaust. I mean, his mom wasn't even in the Holocaust. So to be one of those situations where, I mean, again, this is back in, I think it was that 60, yeah, 66. That's a, a long time. That's a long time ago that they'd be going, what is going on? Back then, PTSD wasn't really even PTSD. They called it shell shock back then. They didn't really totally understand what that even was. So uh, basically, in focusing in on this, that kind of I mentioned earlier about epigenetics. Epigenetics is this weird thing that's a new, it's a new field, newer. And think of it this way. What they are kind of realizing is in the last 10 years, we have learned that your genes can change based on your experience. And I'm not talking about, like, some of you are like, well, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the whole, like, you grow and be different. Like, no, no, no. I'm talking about, like, next level gene. Like, this was the mind blower. Was they, they, this would be on the same level, and this is, this is an example of the level, but this is, couldn't really happen, of, like, a brunette just having some experience and all of a sudden becoming blonde. Like, just, like, overnight. And, like, the gene just changes. Well, if you have that happen, and then that person has children, so then how does the baby um, grow up based on the experience of the gene change that now is no longer the same gene, essentially? And so if you add into that this idea that fear affects all of that, you could literally pass fear on through your genes, theoretically, which is why earlier I was saying, well, first we'd think bipolar was kind of a, nah, not really tight, like just kind of like, well, it's just a brain situation for that person. It's like, well, some things could have got passed on and changed that. And um, I don't really know much about epigenetics. I've literally just told you pretty much what I know about it. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's helpful because um, we don't want this to be, you know, too, you know, academic or research heavy or whatever. In terms of what we're communicating to people, you know, we can, other people can go down that rabbit trail if they want to. 
Just from a practical standpoint, I want to read this email uh, from one of our listeners that I got that really kind of was the impetus for this whole topic that I thought was a very good suggestion, and I'm glad we're talking about it. But she put it really well. In terms of this epigenetics idea, just from a really practical standpoint, um, so that's kind of all you know, heady and informational. It's great. It's it's helpful, and people might be wondering, what does that look like for me personally? So here's what she says: I've been wondering for years if fear is transferred to the next generation within a family, especially from a mother to her children, through trauma stored in her nervous system, either while pregnant or maybe during times of closeness with her infant, such as nursing, but also throughout the child's early life. And so I thought that was just really well articulated because it's saying, giving you a very clear picture of not just how, you know, through DNA, like how does that even happen, but it's like these specific experiences of maybe mom has, you know, trauma from her mother And mom then, when baby is crying, has all kinds of nervous system reactions. You know, she goes into fight or flight. She's, her body's like really activated. Obviously, her body has stored the trauma. And then while she's trying to comfort or nurse the baby, she's transmitting those same messages and experiences, um, body sensations of fear with no words to her baby. And that is possible. And that's how. As an example, uh, trauma can get passed from generation to generation. And so that baby can grow up and say, yeah, I mean, maybe mom was super controlling or, you know, a little bit wacky or whatever, but like she never did anything to abuse me or whatever. But so why do I have all of this anxiety or why am I so keyed up? Why can I not focus? Why do I have trouble um, in chaotic situations where I just get super overwhelmed? Well, maybe that's part of the generational trauma that's been transmitted to you through no fault of your own and nothing that you did caused that. So that's an example of what generational trauma can look like. As you get more practical, there's a story um, that I can tell of, it's a little bit of a hodgepodge of a few different people um, because I've heard the same kind of thing from numerous clients. And so this is, I guess, a little composite of all those. So let's say a, a woman in her you know, early 40s comes in and she's wanting to work on her trauma. Um, she's got some issues that she's recognized from her childhood, from how mom treated her. Maybe there was some abuse or uh, neglect in some capacity. Maybe it was just like excessive criticism, hyper control. Um, Nathan, you were calling it helicopter parenting. I mean, that's kind of a thing nowadays. It would be more than that, not just helicoptering, but also like usually with like a lot of like criticism or anger or fear. And let's say this woman comes in and that was her experience growing up with her mom. And this client is stuck and she doesn't know why she's having such a hard time because she's intelligent, she's hardworking, maybe she's got some good self-awareness or good insight, but she's struggling more than she thinks she should be and she, she can't explain it. And she feels bad about herself. She's got a lot of shame. She's like, what's wrong with me? You know, this stuff happened to me. Is it just I've internalized the messages from my mother growing up? That's certainly possible. But also, you know, going back to why are we talking about this? Because this is so prevalent and it's so heavy. Maybe this is not just a small little river that you're trying to cross, 
but it's like a massive ocean that you're trying to swim across where the waves are very strong. Meaning, maybe grandma also had some mental disorder. And grandma was very abusive or even just completely neglected her daughter, your mom. And so your mom grew up being abused or she grew up with this sort of trauma in her system. And she reacted against what she learned as a child from her mom and parented this this client of yours, you know, this woman in a particular way that was very reactive, obviously, to the other end of the spectrum rather than, you know, just being left and doing nothing like grandma did to mom. Mom now is like super controlling, super structured, very rigid with all of her rules. And it just is a system that was so hard for for this woman um, coming in to deal with. Well, when you put it in that context, it's not just that, you know, mom treated you this way. It's that she has the force of her own abuse, her own trauma from her upbringing that's feeding into it. So it's not just like, hey, mom, why can't you chill out? Hey, mom, why can't you like relax a little bit and just let me go play outside or something? No, that's not possible because mom has to do these things because of how she was treated, how she was parented. There's just so much fear that's going into it that maybe she doesn't even realize. Circling back, so grandma has this abusive type of relationship and very neglectful with your mom. Your mom's response to that is more anxiety and control because she was neglected. So she doesn't want to do that to her own children. So, but she doesn't really know how much attention is okay attention and also because of the abuse there's some bad attention that happened that she doesn't want to do so now um, there is this term in in the field you can totally google it of the helicopter parent she's basically on you like white on rice and a glass of milk and a pear plate and a snowstorm like (laughs) to make sure that she doesn't give you the experience that she had so you want her to change you know, well, unless she's going to work on her trauma from what, what's going on with her mom, um, she's made the most logical decision at all. She can see how maybe she's overdone some things and she can reflect back and go, well, I mean, I'm not a perfect parent, but I didn't do to you what happened to me. So now you're like, well, that's great. But so when you try to, to work through stuff, she's not going to work with you because she's fine. Um, I mean, she's, she'll, she wouldn't say she's fine, but like just the mere fact of challenging that with her, you're challenge, challenging the entire system. So there's no point for you to have this conversation, which you'll soon realize as you start to talk, there'll be a fight and then it'll be over. You'll probably feel pretty alone and stuck. You're still stuck in it because then it's like, well, how do I work on my stuff? I mean, how am I going to put a boundary up with mom if she's not ever going to respect it? She doesn't even believe that there's a problem. And this is like, this is exactly why we're talking about this, because it is difficult. I mean, um, I don't know that we want to get into this yet, Aaron, but like where this goes is having to set some serious boundaries to the extent that you may end up in situationally losing your mom in that case not going out to things anymore, not and and so you have to look at this and go, is this worth it? Me changing this, is it worth it? Because you're looking at changing your experience with your entire family. And then remember, you're going to be judged. 
Other people are going to be like, why are you doing that, Sarah? I can't believe you just think you're so good. You think you're better than everyone. You always listen to the Shrink Think podcast. (laughs) Which, by the way, great job, Sarah. You're doing fantastic. Keep it up. So it's very difficult. And and now you got to deal with the family shame. So you're going to, so I'm looking down the line, maybe you just are like, I'll try to do a little bit, maybe build a couple boundaries in and just not put up with this XYZ thing anymore. But the problem is, is although you do that, you just don't feel settled. You don't feel like it's, it's any better really. And then you get down on yourself, man. I, di- I can't even do like there's nothing I'm hopeless there's nothing and so member depression here he comes we hope you enjoyed this episode stay tuned next time for part two of this series of when trauma is all in the family have a wonderful day thanks for listening to our show don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening.